chapter number 8, Matthew chapter number 8, Danielle Raylene, uh, it's, it's delivery time, pray for them, have these babies here in the next few days, and then Brother Wheeler as he recovers from his surgery, keep him in your prayers. We've been studying the names and titles of Jesus Christ found throughout the pages of the Word of God. This morning we come to the designation, the name that Jesus used of himself, and that name is Son of Man. Now we saw last week that Jesus is the Son of God, absolute, complete, total equality with the Father. Son of Man is the Son of God, that's the the complete equal with God the Father, taking upon himself a body of human flesh, the humanity of Christ. The term Son of Man or title Son of Man is used of Jesus 84 times. 80 of those 84 times, it's Jesus himself using the term. It's how he referred to himself. I came to be one of you. Now, what we're going to look at this morning and then tonight, it's remarkable the entire body of truth with regards to why Jesus came, what he did for us when he came, and what he will do when he comes again, is all spelled out in the book of Matthew in 22 verses where Jesus says, the Son of Man, and then fills in the blank. The Son of Man is this, the Son of Man did this, the Son of Man will do this. And so Jesus, in this first book of the New Testament, gives us the entire picture of his purpose in coming into the world the first time and in returning to the world the second time. We'll look at the first coming uh, this morning and the second coming, Lord willing, tonight. All of this from the book of Matthew. So let's pray together. Father, help us this morning to love and appreciate our Lord Jesus Christ, who He is and what He's done. And we'll thank You and praise You when we're finished. In Jesus' name, Amen. Matthew chapter 8. And verse number 20, Matthew eight twenty. in fact, let's start at verse 18. Now, when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave commandment to depart unto the other side. And a certain scribe came and said unto him, Master, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus saith unto him, The, the foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ, when he came into this world, as you know, he was not born to a king in a palace. He was born to a carpenter in a manger. He was not born to a woman who lived in luxury and royalty. He was born to a woman who had no reservations in the inn, but rather had to take accommodations in a stable. And the Lord Jesus Christ, who came to this world in that meek and lowly fashion, grew up not as, as uh, Saul of Tarsus would, sitting at the feet of Gamaliel and rubbing shoulders with the religious leaders and the power brokers of his day, but rather he worked and labored in obscurity in the carpenter shop of his foster father, Joseph. Having, having been born into relative poverty, having lived a middle class or, or a common laborer's life, he turned his back on even that... 
and entered into the ministry, and if you read in, in Luke in particular and other places, Jesus Christ was dependent upon the donations of food and shelter and provision by those in the villages and towns where he ministered. It's not at all what you would expect of a God come down to earth in the likeness of men. But he lived a life by which you would never detect that he was the Messiah unless you believed what he said. You would never suspect that He was God manifest in the flesh unless you beheld the wonders that He wrought. Uh, In our day, men try to prove that they are of God or right with God or serving God by the luxury and wealth in which they live. They boast about their jets and their mansions and their enlarged Jabez coasts and so forth. And they promise that you too could prove that you were a servant of God by your riches But the Son of Man did not take that path. In fact, when the day drew to a close, he slept in the open air, perhaps on a blanket, perhaps on on his own outer uh, clothing. But he said, a fox at the end of the day can go down into his den. And a bird at the end of the day can fly up into his nest. But at the end of the day, I have nowhere to lay my head. That's the Son of Man. Now he came to this world to minister the grace of God to people who are suffering the effects of Adam's fall. Now I'm telling you, when God put that man in that garden, he had plenty to eat. When God put that man in that garden, he had absolute comfort. When God put that man in that garden, his every temporal and physical need was abundantly supplied by God Almighty. But when sin entered the world, hunger came with it, homelessness came with it, uh, uh, destitution came with it. All the hardship and suffering you see in this world is a result of sin. You can point to politics, and you can point to education, you can point to the financial system, you can point the finger any way you want to, but none of this existed until sin entered the world. And so Jesus Christ came not to stand above it and rebuke it, but to feel the full weight and the full impact of what Adam's fall had done to the human race, so that if you are hungry, you have a friend in Jesus. If you are homeless, you have a friend in Jesus. If you are doing without the comforts and the, and the privileges that others seem to be enjoying in this life, you have a friend in Jesus Christ who knows and understands all about it. Whenever you're on the street ministering, in particular in the larger cities, as we were yesterday, you will always have an encounter with someone who will approach you and say, I am homeless, what can you do for me? Yesterday's homeless individual had a bottle of booze and had a a smoldering cigarette in their hand and wanted me to know that they were hungry. And what could I do for them? And I said, I'll tell you what I can do for you. I can educate you in the ways of Christianity so that you can free yourself from these addictions and these vices that make it impossible for you to hold a job and impossible for you to buy a meal. Are you interested in receiving the help that you need? And in response, I was cursed. Now I'm telling you, Jesus didn't come into the world and walk around handing out money. He came into the world and entered the depth 
depths of human suffering that result from their sin and from their fall and showed men how that he could bring them out of that if they would only follow him. Now look at the passage. The Bible says in verse number 21, Another his disciples said unto him, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said unto him, Follow me and let the dead bury the dead. How insensitive one would say. How uncaring another would say. No, the Lord Jesus Christ said, The only solution for your sorrows is to follow me. The only way to make this thing better is to follow me. It might be in hunger, it might be in sorrow, it might be in a time of need, it might be in a time of death, but Jesus said, I'm not here to hand out temporary reprieves from life's difficulties. I am here to lead you into life more abundant. And how few there are in a day, this day and age in which we live who are willing to follow the Son of Man into life more abundant. We are so accustomed to somebody throwing a little money or throwing a little relief at our troubles and at our problems only to wake up a day later or a week later and realize nothing's improved. Nothing has changed. But if one could follow the Son of Man, He would lead us in the paths of righteousness for His namesake. He would lead us beside still waters. He would lead us to the green pastures. He would lead us through the valley of the shadow of death into a table prepared even in the presence of our enemies. All of these things the Good Shepherd could provide can only be provided to those who will follow Him. And what we find when we try to minister to the, to the unsaved, and even oftentimes we try to minister to the saved, they don't want to follow the Son of Man. They want the Son of Man to drop good things and, and a good life in their lap. And Jesus spent 33 and a half years in this earth and did not enjoy the things people think Jesus is obligated to give them. If I follow the Lord, I'll get a bigger and better house. Some crooked TV preacher told you that. The example of Jesus doesn't indicate that. Well, if I follow the Lord, I'll get a bunch of money. He didn't have a bunch of money. One of his disciples inappropriately put the Lord in a spot one time where he, where he was obligated to pay a tribute that he really wasn't required to pay. And in order to pay that tribute, he sent one of his disciples out to catch a fish that had swallowed a coin, and the Lord took the money out of the fish and said, here, go pay the tribute. Why didn't he just reach in his pocket and get the money? He didn't have it. Now this idea that if I follow Jesus, I'll be a multimillionaire, that's not the Son of Man. Son of Man had nowhere to lay his head. Now, Matthew chapter 11. So the Son of Man lived without earthly comfort. Matthew chapter 11 and verse number 16. Whereunto shall I liken this generation? It is like unto children sitting in the markets and calling unto their fellows and saying, We have piped unto you and ye have not danced. We have mourned unto you and ye have not lamented. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he hath a devil. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. But wisdom is justified of her children. 
Now, let's say this to those of you who have tried to witness for the Lord. If you knock on doors and go to, to individual houses to try and offer people the gospel, someone will tell you that's inappropriate, trespass, uh, you know, interfere in people's lives. You shouldn't do it that way. If you preach in public and lift up your voice, that's inappropriate. I don't think you should do that. You shouldn't do it that way. If you just try to live a good life and be a, a nice person and eventually win their confidence, somebody will say, I don't think you should do it that way. You've taken too long and... and I, Listen, you know what this passage says? You can't do it the right way to suit people who don't want you doing it. John the Baptist read them the riot act and they said he was too mean. Jesus tried to be their pal and they said he was too soft. Truth of the matter is, unsaved people just don't want to hear the gospel. And so no matter how you approach them with the gospel, they're going to push you away and, and criticize what you're doing. But here's what I want you to see. Jesus said, the Son of Man was a friend to publicans and a friend to sinners. I'm glad of that. He never condoned misconduct. He never participated in sin. Now, when he sat with people who drank, they accused him of being a drinker. But there's no record that he ever, he ever drank intoxicating beverages. When he sat with people who engaged in open sin, they accused him of participating in their open sin, though there's not one witness could ever testify to having seen the Lord commit sin. But what I want you to see is that Jesus Christ, while he was separated, was in contact. Jesus Christ, while He was sanctified, was in communication. Jesus Christ, while He never participated in the sin, did not isolate Himself from the sinner. The Son of Man could work a job with unsaved people who cuss and swear and tell dirty stories and say nasty things and make fun of the Bible. And and he could handle that without becoming part of it and without becoming hateful. Look, the people who didn't like Jesus accused him of somehow being inappropriate because he got along with people who weren't holy, because he was able to maintain relationships with people who weren't righteous. I'm glad the Son of Man saw me in my full sinful condition and did not push me aside and did not cast me into the pit of hell and did not refuse to reach out his arm to me. I'm so glad the Son of Man cared about people who were offending him. Loved people who were violating his precepts. Can you do that? On your job, can you be a witness for Jesus Christ without becoming an arrogant, rude, offensive jerk? Can you do that? Can you be a bold witness for Jesus and the person everybody there can confide in? Can you be a bold witness for the Lord and the person there who everybody knows they can count on if they ever get in a jam? That's Jesus. That's the Son of Man. 
He did not engage in their inappropriate behavior, but he did engage in their lives. That's the Son of Man. Matthew 13. Matthew chapter 13. So he lived without earthly comfort. He was friendly to sinners. And the Bible says in Matthew 13, verse 37, And he answered and said to them, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. Of man. Now, if we took time to read the entire chapter, the Bible says in verse number 3, He spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. Verse number 18, Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower, when anyone heareth the word of the kingdom. So, what is, this, what is the sower? The sower is a picture of someone who's spreading the word of God. Correct? Putting out God's word. And verse 37 said, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. So what did the Son of Man, what did Jesus Christ do? He preached the gospel. He proclaimed the good news of the word of God to those that would hear it and to those who would not. Now now, now listen. Was he a friend of publicans and sinners? Yes, he was. Did he eat and drink with those that some people wouldn't eat and drink with? Yes, he did. But he never abandoned his spiritual duty to be their friend or to maintain friendship with them. Some say, well, you know, I, I just want to befriend them and so I'm going to wait till the right time. Look, he, he befriended them, but he didn't wait for the right time to give them the Word of God. It's always the right time to give somebody the Word of God. You can be nice and witness. You can be kind and preach. And you don't have to withhold the gospel in order to befriend unsaved people. Jesus didn't do it. He wouldn't do it. He went everywhere preaching the Word. When he went into town, he preached the word. Went into a village, he preached the word. Went into a synagogue, he preached the word. Went into a house, he preached the word. Now, the Son of Man did not just say, watch me. The Son of Man did not just say, well, they'll be able to tell who I am and what they need to do by observing me. No, there's plenty there to watch. And there was plenty there to observe. But Jesus proclaimed with his lips the good news of the gospel. Aren't you glad? See, I'm not saved by walking in His footsteps because I've already missed those steps many a time. But I am saved by believing the gospel that He preached. So He lived the life and we should live the life. But He also preached the Word and we should preach the Word. Now, if you live the life and don't preach the Word, that's not enough. If you preach the Word and don't live the life, that's too much. Come on, nobody wants to hear somebody tell them they need to get right with God when the person talking to them obviously isn't right with God. Jesus preached it and He lived it. He lived it and He preached it. That's what the Son of Man did. All right, Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. That's as far as I can follow Jesus. I can live without earthly comfort, though I'm not required to. I can be friendly to sinners, and I'm expected to. 
and I can preach the word and I'm commanded to. But now watch this. Matthew 9 and verse number 6. Jesus says, But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. Then saith he to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, and go into thine house. And he arose and departed to his house. When the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God, which is given, had given such power unto man. Now they knew he's a man, but they're giving God the glory for the power that Jesus manifest when he healed this man. But he didn't say, be healed. He said, thy sins be forgiven thee. Because had sin never entered the world, that man would not have been crippled in that way. All, all sickness and, and trouble and physical things, all that's a result of, of sin originally. And so Jesus said, thy sins be forgiven thee. And he said, the Son of Man, that's me. I have power on earth to forgive sins. Now, I can forgive you of something you've done to me. But I don't have power on earth to forgive your sins. And you go in a room and, and close the door and, 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 and somebody can open the curtain and say, Okay, tell me what you did. And you can confess your sins to that man and he can say, I forgive you. But you've got to go out and say three Hail Marys and, and four Tostitos and, and six Little Debbies and, and all that kind of stuff. But he doesn't have the power to forgive your sins. But the Son of Man does. When God, see, that's who, that's who was sinned against. When God was manifest in the flesh, He had the same power on earth that He has in heaven. He can forgive your sins. What a blessing. What a, now, if I forgive you and, God, and you don't go to God and get forgiveness from God, then all you got is, is forgiveness from me, and that helps you and I get along uh, better, but that's not going to get you into heaven. I'm not the doorkeeper of heaven. Jesus Christ is. So you need His forgiveness, and He had power and manifest that power to forgive sins. All right, Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. Not only does the Son of Man have power to forgive sins, the Son of Man is superior to religion. All religion. Even the one He Himself ordained. Okay, now, now, listen, real, care, real careful. God did not come down and stand upon Mount Sinai and give the human race Buddhism. Islam. Confucianism. Taoism. Just name them. Plug them in. God came down on a mountain and said, Here are the rules for religion upon the earth. And one of those, the, 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 the preface there, the preempt, one of those rules, in the Ten Commandments that are in the introduction to the rest of the commandments, was a requirement to keep the Sabbath day. Absolute requirement. From sunset Friday to sunset Saturday, no labor, no secular activity, the worship and adoration of God and God only, or execution. 
That's a God-ordained religion. Sabbath, Sabbath-keeping. But Jesus came, the Son of Man, and He said in verse number, verse number 5, Have you not read in the law how the Sabbath days the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath are blameless? But I say unto you that in this place is one greater than the temple. But if you had known what this meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. Jesus said, I am superior to the temple in which you worship God. And I am superior to the day on which you worship God. Now, if God gave them a set place of worship, and the Son of Man is superior to that place, if God gave them a set day on which to worship, and the Son of Man is superior to that day, then guess who He is? He's the God who is worshipped in the place. He's the God who is worshipped on the day. And he said, if you have the building and you have the day, but you don't have me, you've missed out. Because I, the Son of Man, I am Lord over the temple. I am Lord over the Sabbath day. Now let's fast forward. Jesus Christ established the New Testament. The New Testament sets forth God's church. Not a physical nation, a spiritual people, a holy nation. And in that church, there are certain things the Lord has told His church to do. Baptism for the believer. All believers are are baptized in the New Testament. All believers should be baptized according to the New Testament. The Lord's Supper, eat this bread, drink this cup, clearly set forth in the Bible, okay? Giving, oh, yeah, it's in there. Now, now, now look, but what, what happens? You talk to people as they leave church. Are you saved? I have been baptized. Well, is that part of the commandments given by Christ to the New Testament church? It is, just as the temple was ordained of God in the Old Testament. Are you saved? Well, I, went, I took communion. Well, are you, are you saved? Well, I keep the Sabbath. Don't you see? These are parts of the religion, but the religion is to worship the Lord. And if an Old Testament man had... The temple on the Sabbath, but not the Lord, he doesn't have what he needs. And if someone in the New Testament day has baptism or communion or giving, they've done some of the things the Lord has told them to do, but they don't have the Lord. Are you saved? Don't tell me that you've kept some of his commandments. Tell me that you've trusted him. And that was the issue that Jesus had. You have your religion, and it might be a proper Old Testament religion. It might even be a proper New Testament religion. But I am Lord over the Sabbath, over the temple, over the baptistry, over the offering plate, over the communion table. The Son of Man is the Lord. And that's who He is, and He set that forth in no uncertain terms. All right, Matthew 13. Matthew chapter 13.
The Bible says here in verse number 41, The Son of Man shall send forth His angels, and they shall gather out of His kingdom all things that offend, and them that do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. In our society today, many religious people and people who wouldn't even consider themselves to be religious want superior beings to look up to, to hope in, to pray to, to believe maybe they're going to come and help us fix all these problems. They're allowed to be higher than men just as long as they're not God. Your world's okay with a Thor or an Achilles or an angel. Even a bunch of angels would be great. Just not God. Long as you stop short of the one true God, we're okay with that. The Greeks didn't mind having 12 temples on their Acropolis to 12 gods, but that unknown God back there in the back, we leave him alone. And so it's very popular in our day that if somebody writes a book about their encounter with an angel or their encounter with a tall gray alien from a saucer-shaped ship, saucer-shaped ship, well, you better be careful with that. You can sell 100,000 copies of that book. But if you put out a book about how you met Jesus Christ and He became your Savior, you can't sell 15 of them. People want a higher power. Just don't name Him. People want to tap into... So Jesus said, hey, guess who gets to live in the kingdom? Those the Son of Man allows to live in the kingdom. Guess who gets thrown out of the kingdom? Those the Son of Man says don't get to live in the kingdom. So he's clearly stating his superiority over men. But then he takes it one step farther and he says, and you know what? We're going to get the unfit thrown out of the kingdom because I am going to command my angels and my angels are going to do what I tell them to do. So, From the Bible, these angels are greater powers than men. So when these angels show up to grab you and throw you in the lake of fire, you can't stop them. You can't resist them. You are are as incapable as, well, as the entire United States military and all its technology against an alien or a monster or a... Except the one good guy with a pistol and a girlfriend. Because whatever the enemy is, they're going to take it out at the end of the movie. Showdown, face off, the guy and his girlfriend and a pistol will accomplish what the entire military industrial complex could not accomplish. Well, you keep paying movie for that uh, money for those movies, they all end the same way. Just like that. And the, the, the guy and the girl with their dirt-smeared faces and their bloodied bodies walk off into the sunset to the cheers and hurrahs of the thankful public. 
I mean, any hero but Jesus. Any enemy but the devil. It's the Bible just without God and Satan and Jesus Christ. Now, here's what, here's what I'm telling you. You can put an angel poster up in your bedroom. You can have your favorite angel. You can hope that angels are watching over you and all that. But Jesus Christ commands the angels. He is their superior and they are His servants. So why would you stop with angels when you could go right to the top? Why would you ask the hired help to help you when you could ask the one who owns it all to help you? Jesus Christ is clearly the Lord of the angelic hosts. He's, he's on top. Absolutely, He's the top. Alright, so what, what happens to this one called the Son of Man? Matthew 17. Matthew 17. we got to zip right along here. Matthew 17, verse 22. And while they abode in Galilee, Jesus said unto them, the Son of Man shall be betrayed into the hands of men, and they shall kill Him. That's what He knew. While He's healing, they're going to they're betray Him and kill Him. While he's, work, while he's working miracles, they're planning to betray Him and kill Him. While He is cleansing their lepers and giving sight to their blind and raising their dead and feeding their multitudes... They are planning to condemn him and to kill him. That's what he said. He knew it was coming. Matthew 17, verse number 12. But I say unto you that Elias has come already, and they knew him not, but have done unto him whatsoever they listed. Likewise shall also the Son of Man suffer of them. They're going to put the Son of Man to suffering. Jesus knew that. They are going to beat him with their fists. They are going to plow his back with whips. They are going to nail him to a cross. They're going to drive a a crown of thorns into his brow. They're going to run a spear up in his side. The Son of Man is going to suffer at the hands of men. He promised that. Matthew 20. Matthew chapter 20. Verse number 28, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life a ransom for many. He said, I, the Son of Man, I not only live without earthly comfort, I'm not only a friend to sinners, I not only preach the Word, I not only have power to forgive sins, I'm not only superior to religion, I'm not only superior to the angels, But I will suffer at the hands of men, and then I will voluntarily lay down my life and die for sinners. I'm not dying because I've sinned. I'm dying for sinners. I'm not dying because I couldn't get myself out of it. I'm dying for sinners. He is going to voluntarily take your place and mine upon the cross. That's His intention. Bible says in Matthew, well, let's, let's look at 20 verse 18. 
Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death. Now here's the twin truth that has to run side by side. I am condemned because I've sinned. Because I have sinned and am condemned, I must die because that sin must be paid for. But here comes a man, see, son of man, a man who has never sinned. There is no condemnation, and yet he is condemned. There is no ground upon which death may claim him, and yet he is going to die. There is no justice should God the Father put him to death, and yet God the Father is going to put him to death. It only makes sense, and it is only righteous, if the Son of God has become the Son of Man to be our substitute. You are condemned, but I will take your condemnation. You have sinned, but I will bear your sin. You must die, but I will die in your place. Now look, if he hasn't become man, he can't take my place. The invisible, eternal God who is a spirit cannot die. But God is manifest in the flesh, and the Son of Man says... I have done nothing amiss. They will find no fault in me, but I will allow myself to be condemned. I have not sinned. The wages of sin do not apply to me. Therefore, death cannot touch me, but I will die in your place. What an amazing thing. You understand. You can only follow him so far. You can live without earthly comfort and you can be a friend of sinners and you can preach the word, but you can't die for anybody's sins. You can only die for your own. So people say, how are you going to get to heaven? Well, I'm just following Jesus. You can go this far and you can't go any farther. You can only take so many steps down that road before Jesus turns and says, you're going to have to wait here. There's a picture in Genesis Abraham is going to take his only begotten son Isaac up. He's going to carry wood up into a mountain and lay down his life and die there as a sacrifice. And and there's a company of people traveling with Abraham and with Isaac. And they come to the foot of that mountain and Abraham says to them, You have to wait here. The only two that can go up on that mountain and get this job done is the father and the son. The rest of you have gone as far as you can go. And if you're here today and you are trying your best to be a good person and you know the best person who ever lived was Jesus and you're going to try to follow him all the way to heaven, I'm telling you, when you get to the foot of Mount Calvary, God the Father says, you're going to have to wait here. This is as far as you can go. The only two that can walk up this mountain and get this job done are the Father and the Son. And when we've finished making the sacrifice, we'll come back down to you. 
And I talk to people all the time. Are you going to heaven? I, yes, I think I am. How are you going to get there? I, I'm trying to be a good person. That good person can get you to Calvary. It can't get you up that mountain. You're going to have to stand there and look up and behold Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, dying to pay for your sins. I had a, I had a remarkable thing happen yesterday. This man sitting on a bench, whiskers, lay, several layers of dirty clothes. The gloves with the fingers cut out of them are a real telltale sign. And he's got in his hand a bottle. And I walked up to him with another man. The man said, can I give you something to read about Jesus? He said, nope, don't want it. He said, are you going to heaven when you die? He said, nope, going straight to hell. And he said, would you like to go to heaven when you die? He said, never thought about it. And the fellow, I mean, he, he could have been 50, looked like he was 80. And the man was with me. He said, in all your life, have you never thought about where you're going to go when you die? He said, sir, I can honestly tell you I've never given that a minute's thought. Isn't that amazing? He said, would you like to think about it? He said, nope. I just plan on going to hell. That's shocking. Do you know Jesus Christ went to the cross for that man? And died so that man could be saved. We had the privilege of telling him what the Lord had done for him. He, ended up, he took a gospel tract. He said he would read it. I don't know if he would read it or not. But you know something? Jesus died for him. And you look at that man and you say, Boy, what, a, what an awful sinner. But you know, from, from looking down from the cross, none of us looked any better. He couldn't go up there and pay for his own sin, and I couldn't go up there and pay for my own sin, and you couldn't go up there and pay for your own sin, and you might not have done what he did. You might have lived a really good life while he lived a really bad life, but neither of us, none of us, can get any farther than the foot of that mountain. And on that mountain, the Son of Man died for sinners because nobody else could. He's the only one could pay for that sin. Well, Matthew 12. Quickly, three more stops. Matthew chapter 12. Matthew 12. Say, why quickly? Well, I just say that so people who think it's too long will think it's almost coming to an end. Matthew 12. The nurse, she pulls out this needle about four inches long. says, now this won't hurt much. Well, then you turn around and let me stick you with it. <laughs> Matthew 12, verse number 38. Then certain the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered, Sit of them, an evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. And there shall no sign be given to it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonas was, three days and three nights in the whale's belly... So shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now here's what he said. Son of Man, I'm going to be condemned. Son of Man, I'm going to suffer at the hands of men. Son of Man, I'm going to be put to death. Son of Man, three days and three nights, I'm going to be in the heart of the earth. Not, not one minute shorter not one minute longer, 
But I'm going, I'm going through the doors of death. I'm going into the very heart of the earth. Now, if he said, I'm going to be there three days and three nights, that sounds to me like he has every intention of checking out when his stay has run its course. Let's see, let's see. Verse number 17, uh, chapter 17, verse number 9. Matthew 17. Matthew 17. Verse 9, And they came down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, saying, Tell the vision to no man, until the Son of Man be risen again from the dead. What did the Son of Man do? He, was di- he died, according to the Scriptures. He was buried, according to the Scriptures. He rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. That's Matthew writing what Paul preached. The death, burial, and resurrection of the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ. No man ever had power to lay down his life, but the Son of Man did. No man ever had power to take it up again, but the Son of Man did. He went in to the grave voluntarily. He came out of the grave triumphantly. Praise the Lord. Matthew 26, Matthew chapter 26, Matthew 26, verse 63, or 62. And the high priest arose and said unto him, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witness against thee? But Jesus held his peace. And high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God, that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus saith unto him, Thou hast said. He said, Yeah, you got that right. I am the Christ. I am the Son of God. You, you got it. Nevertheless, I say unto you, Hereafter shall ye see the Son of Man, sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. How about that? Now, Jesus said, I, a man in a body of flesh, oh yeah, I'm the Son of God. I'm, I'm Almighty God manifest in a body of flesh. And you may take me to a cross and nail me there, but you won't kill me. I will lay down my life to pay for sin. And when I'm buried in that tomb, I'll stay there three days and three nights, and then I will, as the Son of Man, not as a spirit, not as a ghost, I will rise from the dead in this very same body. That's what resurrection is. And then I will return to the place from whence I came. I will sit at the right hand of the Father in heaven and from there, I will come back to this earth and rule and reign as Christ the Messiah. That's who I am. That's what I'm going to do. And you think you're in control of these proceedings in Pilate's judgment hall. And you think you're going to get rid of me. And what you don't know is all you are doing is fulfilling the scriptures that I wrote and have come to fulfill. Praise God. So Matthew, just the book of Matthew, writing about the Son of Man, says, He lived without earthly comfort. 
He was a friend of sinners. He preached the word. He has power to forgive sins. He's Lord over religion. He is Lord over angels. He was betrayed into the hands of men. He was condemned to death. He suffered at the hands of men. He died for sinners. He was dead and buried only three days. But all of three days. Then he rose from the dead and ascended to the Father's right hand. That is the saving gospel of New Testament Christianity spelled out in the book of Matthew. Now, tonight, Lord willing, we're going to take this ascended Son of Man and see what he says in the same book of Matthew going forward in time all the way out into eternity. So, praise the Lord. What a, what a remarkable thing you have in the Bible. But oh, it's, it's, it's more than that. It's the revelation of the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for us. Now, if you're here this morning and you've been baptized and that's all you've been, you're not saved. If you've taken communion, or you called it mass, or you, whatever you called it, you're not saved. If you've given to the poor, or given to a church, you're not saved. If you are a good man, or a good woman, as, as, as you would define it, as the world would define it, if you've got a sign that says, I'm good without gods, you might be a good husband, a good wife, a good father, a good child, a good citizen, you might be. But you can only get to the foot of, the, of, the, of Mount Calvary. You can't get up there and pay for your own sins. And as good as you might think yourself to be, you have sinned. You have. Well, how dare you call me a sinner? Look, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind. That's the first commandment, and you can't wait to leave. We're talking about God. Where you're going, they won't be talking about God. We're singing about God. Where you're going when you leave here, they won't be singing about God. So you don't love God with all your heart. That's the first commandment. You're trying to condemn me. That happened a long time ago. <laughs> you're already condemned. Who's going to pay for your sin? The Son of Man. He's already done it. He just wants you to trust Him. 